Hey everybody, Tyler Smith here, Minisode number 30, and if I've done this right, you are hearing it on December 31st, 2013. Well, you might be hearing it another time, but it will be posted at that time. Uh, and so, in this Minisode, we are talking about uh, Josh's first favorite film of all time. Uh, so I think we've managed to get all of our top tens into a one-year span, which is just by the skin of our teeth, which is very exciting. So, um, so, but, so let's just get into it because we've got a lot of you know we've got things to do. Josh has a plane to catch, uh, and so uh, speaking of Josh, let's welcome him in now. Josh, hi there. How you doing? Doing all right. Getting ready to catch a plane in a little bit. Yeah, going to Philadelphia, PA. All right. That's very exciting. Sure is. And you will be gone for uh, somewhere in the area of 17 weeks? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. 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 So, um, Josh is going to be gone for a while, um, and I'm not totally sure what impact that's going to have on the show just yet, but I'll figure it out. Um, you're fired. Oh. I just figured it out. Oh, good. So, well, I'm working easy. on that one for a while. All right. Well, I guess I'll see you. All right. Casablanca, everybody. Let's talk about it. Wait a minute. <laughs> Cat's out of the bag. Yeah, sorry. Well, you know, if people are listening to this, then it's no, titled that. I'm assuming that they're listening to it in some kind of, like, feed on their computer or mobile device, and it yeah. just pops in. They don't even know. That happens. I've, I've done that before. I've done it, too. So, um... But now they know. Now you know. Yeah. And knowing is half the battle. battle? G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Favorite um, film of all time. So, uh, so yeah, uh, we are recording this uh, a few days before Christmas. Uh, our wives and we just went to Candy Cane Lane mm-hmm. in Woodland Hills. Saw a lot of Christmas lights. Was a lot, drank some hot chocolate. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Now we're waiting for a pizza. We've recorded minisodes like that before. Yep. So, uh, so, you know, the, the clock is ticking. It's a party in a minisode, really. Exactly. We hope we're going to be exchanging presents in a moment. What did Josh get me? What did I get him? Who knows? I didn't get him anything. That's what I thought. So um, I got him the privilege of hosting a show with me. Oh, just like I got you last year. (laughs) It's just what I wanted. It's what everyone wants, really. That's true. So, um, okay. well, let's get to it. Uh, I already mentioned uh, Casablanca is your favorite film of all time. And a little bit of backstory uh, I was surprised when you told me that. Yeah. Um, just because, for a number of years, when asked you, you know, when I when I would ask what what are some of your favorite films, uh, who are some of your favorite filmmakers, uh, it was always you know a lot of people that we've talked about already. You know, mm-hmm. you got your Wes Anderson, your Woody Allen, your Ingmar Bergman. Um, who are some of the others? Coen Brothers. You Coen love the Coen Brothers, Brothers. yeah. And uh, and so and. For a long time, I thought, as I think I mentioned when we talked about it, I thought your favorite film was To Kill a Mockingbird, a movie that you really loved oh. and was in your top ten. Um, but when you presented me with your top ten, there was Casablanca occupying the number one spot. It sure is. Um, and that, uh, I don't know, that uh, it, didn't, it didn't put me off or anything, but it's not a movie that gets talked about a lot. I mean, it gets talked about a lot, but in certain circles of... I would say critics and film fans under 30, mm-hmm. uh, Casablanca is viewed as actually kind of corny, kind of hokey. Uh, the essence of, you know, old school mainstream film. 
Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, people turned turned on it a little bit. Just a little bit. Not much. Which is a shame. I mean, it's kind of the same thing that has happened for some people with Citizen Kane. And yep. that Citizen Kane was considered by so many people for so long to be the greatest film of all time. that There was sort of a backlash against it. And uh, I think it's been similar with, with Casablanca. That's happened to some degree. Um, yeah. But it's... I mean, and you know what? I... Before we, I will specify that for myself, I saw it in high school, thought it was tremendously overrated. Hmm. I thought it was hokey. I thought it was all those things. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of one-liners in there that I liked. Um, But it just, it was, you know, in my mind, it was no Maltese Falcon. Hmm. Now, of course, very few movies are. But, and to this day, I prefer Maltese Falcon to Casablanca. But, um but I was one of the people that I was talking about. At the time, I, I didn't know enough about movies to necessarily know where it fell, but I knew that was one that everyone said, you've got to see it. And then I saw it and I was like, yeah, it's fine. I don't think I had much patience for romance at the time either. Mm-hmm. That's the thing I was going to say. Like as a high schooler, it wouldn't necessarily connect yeah. with you on that level. Although that I, I did see it for the first time in high school. I don't know if I loved it as much then as I do now. <laughs> the way I saw that the first time I saw it, mm-hmm. um, I watched it on a DVD when DVDs were a new thing. I was like, I don't know, what have I been, 16 or something like that? Okay. Um, and I watched it on my computer, because that was the way you watched a DVD. Then I was, like, sitting at my parents' computer watching it that way on a, you know, what, 17-inch screen? Like, I'm not, not a very big... Best possible way to see it. <laughs> I know, like, that's one of those ones that really, that's a terrible way to see it. But the fact that I did still enjoy it after that, and then I have seen it several times since... Um, I think it says something that you can enjoy it or that I enjoyed it seeing it that first time in, in such an unfriendly oh, the first time uh, I movie saw, environment. The first time I saw Kane was in my basement in Denver on a 19-inch screen VHS copy. Yeah. And I was sitting probably further away from the TV than you should with a 19-inch screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, you know what? It got me. Yeah. It was, it was more than enough to... to to seize my imagination and all that kind of thing. And it sounds like the same deal with, with Casablanca. So, yeah. And you say you, you probably like it more now than you did then. Yeah, I think I do. Why well, do you think that is? I think that's because I get more of the, the, cause there's a lot of levels to it and there's a lot of things going on that are pretty, uh, pretty complex and pretty, uh, there's so many different issues going on with those characters. And there's a lot of it you don't get, especially as a high schooler. Yeah. Um, first, the stuff about the romance thing, not only about just the intricacies of the romance, but the fact of the way the romance plays out. Yeah. And the way that that is very atypical for that. That's one of the reasons it kind of surprises me that when people talk about it as being hokey or outdated or, or like or too um, too much of of its time. Yeah. Because I feel like the way that love story ends is not at all of its time, really. And it. it what I have heard, the story anyway, is that that isn't the way they wanted to end it. But because of the 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 code, mm-hmm. they couldn't have an adulterous relationship be like a positive relationship. And so <laughs> it's kind of a, like against uh, that current, you know, the, the, it, it goes against the grain of the kind of movies that were happening then no. because of the code. Which <laughs> there's not a lot of times that good things yeah, happen I, because of that. I'm not a huge fan of the Hayes Code, but there is something to be said for, it's like, all right, you don't like this, we'll go around it, we'll do something else, and the something else, 
the Hayes Code doesn't care about it. Didn't care about like artistic quality. No. Uh, but but yeah, the the filmmakers and stuff they it caused them to make a better movie. Yeah. By not giving the audience what the audience thinks it wants. Yeah. Um, so and if you if you haven't seen the film, I would I, we want to talk about kind of all all the things that happen in it. So I would I would really recommend maybe stopping and watching it first. It's not too hard to find. Yeah, you'll um, you'll find it. It yeah. should shouldn't be a problem. There's a there is um, a nice new uh, Blu-ray. At, I believe a 70th anniversary, uh, which I was, got for uh, from my wife for Christmas. So. Oh. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, that's available. You can find that at the More Than One Lesson store. No, that's of course very good. So, um, there's a nice new uh, Criterion Nashville. Maybe I'll get oh, that from my wife. Sure, that'd is. be nice. That would. That's be. some nice symmetry there. Yeah. Hey. All right. The MTOL wives <laughs> giving us our favorite things. Now you're putting a lot of pressure on her there. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. Listeners are going to be emailing her. We're like, why didn't you get? We'll get it for you, Tyler. Um, there's a P.O. box over at Battleship Pretension. Just write uh, Tyler Smith, care of Battleship Pretension, and send me whatever you want. Anything. Um, if you want to send Josh something, uh, well, he can get his own P.O. box. <laughs> but anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, oh, but I was going to say, well, because we were talking about the ending, and I was saying people should see it before we talk about the ending, because mm-hmm. as we're saying, it is atypical for that time. Yeah. And I'm going to go into that now. Spoilers. Um, uh, like we said, it was um, the the movie one of them like the original idea was that you know they go off together like they reconnect they meet each other and they go off together and then obviously the way it ends now is that they don't yeah um, but I think that makes it way more interesting it I mean it's very strange like how often do you run across a movie where the that isn't noir, and mm-hmm. I've heard people refer to Casablanca as having a noir mentality, which I could see. Yeah. Um, how often do you run across a movie that has such a downer ending, and that is the best possible ending? Yeah. It is, it, by which I mean the most satisfying to yeah. the audience. Like that, people list this among the most romantic movies of all time, and it's yeah. like, and it's it's not like. Sometimes they list movies that are sort of a tragic romance in that way, like right. a Doctor Zhivago or something like that. Yeah. But but this it, the ending is isn't tragic, even though they don't end up together. Like, yeah, it's there's a triumphant quality, right? To it. Like that's what's supposed to happen, and and the whole it it does speak to its time in the sense that it really reflects kind of the mentality that was going around during the war at that time. It was like yeah. this is the most like this is the most important thing. Yeah. Like very, very important things are at stake here. Yeah. And people are having to put aside what, what would be very important, what might be the most important thing to their lives in different circumstances. Do you think, um, that somebody could, and I don't know if anybody has ever leveled this against the film. I think they could now that I think they should, but there's probably somewhere, someone out there who, thought that the film is maybe a little in some way jingoistic or nationalistic or the idea of a, a an individual sacrificing what he wants in service of quote unquote the greater good in this case uh, a national you know the the allied powers and, and that sort mm-hmm. of thing um what would if if somebody ever said that what would you say and and cited that as a as a bad thing mm-hmm. um and and a destructive thing. Like if somebody said that, how would you respond? I I feel like that could only be a 
that can only be a valid argument if you thought that Nazi Germany should have won the war. <laughs> I mean, yeah. For first of all, it's not specifically American, which I think is why I think if it had been American, if everybody was in America at the time, if it was people going off to the American war effort specifically, right? Then that might be a charge that was more often leveled. But because yeah. it takes place in Casablanca, that it's mostly expatriates. I mean, Victor Laszlo is is Czech or something. I think. I yeah, I don't um, remember. And she is. They meet in Paris, but I don't remember if she's supposed to be French or what. The character's name is Ilsa Lund. I mean, maybe she's just L-U-N-D. Swedish because yeah. Ingrid, Ingrid Bergman was Swedish yeah. also. That would make sense. Yeah, they're really, I mean, looking. I'm looking at the uh, cast list right now and the, the list of characters. The only American, well, there's Sam and then there's Rick. Yeah. Everybody Sam else, Rick. it's like, you know, there's a French, German, you know, all kinds yeah. of stuff. So, so it... it and that's another thing that I like about it is it represent it's it depicts and represents all these microcosms from different different uh, nationalities and things that were going on in the war. Yeah. Um, during the time that the war was happening. Yeah. Um, I think that I think that's very interesting, even just as a historical thing. Um, and each character, something that I've only I've probably seen the movie maybe four times. Uh, and each character, you said like each one is kind of so many different nationalities are represented. And then each character is kind of representative, not merely of their nationality, but different reactions to a larger thing. Mm-hmm. You have characters now, admittedly, and maybe this is a, a vaguely cynical view of uh, human nature. Most of the characters respond in an exploitative way. What can I get out of this? Yeah. Uh, and then there are characters, including our pro- uh, protagonist, who respond in a way it's like, it's got nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. I am, I've done this kind of thing before and no, no good came of it. I'm moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get characters that are willing to be selfless and that sort of thing. And it's just, yeah. and then you get people that like, uh, you know, Major Strasser who are very much in the middle of what is happening yeah. and is one of the forces that can, that makes it continue. Um, and so with all these characters, if you look at it and you look at the, the ensemble, you see that everybody seems to represent a different attitude and a different reaction mm-hmm. to this thing that, you know, there's a reason they're called world wars and it's because mm-hmm. everybody is affected by yeah. it. And it's fascinating to me that, that the people making this movie don't know what happens at the end of world war two, you know, like yeah. they, they don't know who wins and that's fascinating to me. Like, yeah. Just the idea of like the way the whole thing is depicted. Like, what if what if Germany had won the war? Like, what, did, if that had happened, this movie might not be available. The fair, yeah, there'd be a, probably a lot of movies not available. Yeah, well, <laughs> but um, but yeah, that's I mean that's that's interesting to me too. And uh, what was the thing I was going to say about it? That was leading me to something else, but I can't remember what it was. It's it's always interesting to see the depiction of uh, the war effort and of. Germans and Nazi Germans from that time period. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we know so much more about what was going on at the time now. And obviously we know what happened. Yeah. Um, so we know the outcomes. That is something that people, including me until this moment, really don't think about is like, I naturally, cause the movie was what? 43. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. 70 years. Um, so, Part of me just naturally assumes that, like, all right, well, the war lasted several years. 
19, and then it ended in 45. It's like 43, we were pretty close to winning at that point. So it was kind of a foregone conclusion. Like, it's like, yeah, people are still dying, and it's still a war, like full-blown full war. And for, uh, for the United States, that's like the smack dab in the middle of the war. Yeah. Like what we were 41 to 45, right? Yeah. So. And so, so that's the thing is, is I look back on the film and just think, and of course, with hindsight, knowing how it ended, but also feeling like they probably kind of knew where it was going. Mm. <laughs> it's like, no, they didn't. Not at <laughs> yeah. all. Um, yeah. And so looking at looking at anything made in the midst of this uh, is can be very kind of harrowing, especially, I mean, or inspiring. Mm. And the scene that when I think of Casablanca, there are a number of lines that I think of. There's a number of characters I think about. And there, there are maybe a handful of scenes that I think about. And it's like, I feel like maybe when you think about so many things about the film, I think that maybe makes it a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, the scene in the bar, there are many of them, but uh, where uh, the Germans are singing their song. that That's a great, I feel like that's my favorite depiction of patriotism in a film. Because yeah. there's all these, you know, all the French people there, especially that one woman who's like singing with the tears in her eyes and everything yeah. like that. It's like, they... I don't know that that struggle that's happening right there between people who are uh, really, really there's it's the patriotism, but then the oppressor and the oppressed because the Germans yeah. are clearly kind of in control in this bar. Yeah. And, um, and the, and the French characters, they're not home. They yeah. can't be home. Yeah. Because home is where they're going to get killed and be oppressed and all that. They are trying to be somewhere else, which I'm sure breaks their heart. Um, and so there's this, you know, what, are they, what is it? Uh, La Marseille? Marseille. Marseille? Pardon me. Um, and uh, so they sing this, you know, rousing. Uh, is it uh, the national anthem? Yeah. Of, okay. So they sing the national anthem. And by the way, it's a great national anthem. Yeah. It's, it's really, really good. <laughs> um, and uh, and it's this defiant thing, but also the uh, deep, there's a deep melancholy there, like mm-hmm. the, the woman with the tears in her eyes. It's not yeah. merely a swell of pride. It's also uh, sadness that she yeah. can't be where she wants to be. Right. Um, and, and that, this is, and that here are the people that are destroying that yeah. for her. And this is the most I can do right now yeah. is to sing this song. That yeah. is a wonderful scene. It is. Um, but, uh, so Casablanca is, is one of those movies that so many people think they know. And indeed it, you can watch you can watch the movie and think you know it, and it does seem on the surface to be very simple, very cut and dry. You know who the villains are, you know who the heroes are. Uh, you're rooting for there to be a definite change in Rick. You think you're rooting for the relationship, but you're actually rooting for Rick to do something. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you get kind of a little bait and switch with what you think you want as opposed to what you want, mm-hmm. what, what you actually want. Um, and so I think people come away from this movie f- feeling like, okay, I got it. As mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, the last mini so we talked about Nashville. Uh, we've talked about Fargo. Any number of the movies that we've talked about in our top ten uh, are movies that people could watch and be like, there's something going on here. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can peel away some of the layers, but I'm never going to get to the bottom of this. Mm-hmm. Casablanca is one that I think people feel like they get. Yeah, but there are more layers to it right. than that. Because you can would you like to talk about some of those layers? Well, you you can just take it at face value and see the romance and the story of of him like giving that up for this greater good, which is the core story. Mm-hmm. But uh it's it's saying a lot of other things in smaller ways 
that maybe we miss when we're focusing on the big thing. Like I, I like the whole idea that it's playing with as almost this purgatorial idea of this place. Like all these people are here because they're, they're trapped in, in some way, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. they don't really want to be here. No one really wants to be here. All these people are trying to get out, but nobody yeah. can. And, uh, you know, the, the bar is kind of the you know, Rick's, yeah. is the place where people can kind of come to to commiserate over this state that they're in. Yeah. Um I don't know, I that I think that speaks to to something the idea of of being of feeling trapped in this place, of feeling between one place and another, maybe not sure where you're going, knowing that you can't know you can't go back to where you came from. Right. Um so besides the fact that they're that these people that you know the obvious fact of these people being there because of the war and everything, um it just speaks to a, a a broader idea of of uh people thrown together in a place where they they're not where they don't want to be there and then you know yeah. they don't know how to get out yeah it's and the inherent vulnerability of their situation makes them uh a very easy target for the predators mm-hmm. people that can that can promise them because when when you want nothing more than to get out of a situation, yeah. anybody who can give you even a slight hint at that promise, mm-hmm. uh, you, you may be like somebody who's not normally naive might find themselves be, to be a little bit naive because they so badly want this thing, mm-hmm. uh, and then they are, you know, they the somebody gets what they can out of them and then kicks them to the curb. And yeah. now they're actually worse. They're actually even worse off. And they're all, and they were already not, you know, not doing very well. Yeah. Um, you see that with, um, with Louie, obviously, especially with that, yeah. with the one girl. And then, um, I can't think of Sydney green street's character's name. Off Ferrari. The head. Ferrari. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, he's taking advantage of people too in the same way. Oh, not in the exact same way, but, yeah. um, yeah, so there's examples of, of that and how that happens, the predators. And and in a way, the, the Germans are kind of, the Nazis, I should say, are predators of a different type. And right. maybe one speaks as a, a, a microcosm of the other. Um, one of the things that I only, probably the most recent time that I watched, I don't remember when it was, probably a few years ago. Um, the thing that got me that I certainly did not pick up on in high school, maybe even not even, not even really in college, um, was the idea of like, if you look at the Rick is viewed as a tragic character and he is, but he's also tremendously selfish. Oh uh, yeah. Like, and when you think about it, he's been like, he was something of a freedom fighter mm-hmm. and then he got involved with this other person and then got hurt by them. Yeah. And then not only did he check out from like the possibility of romance, which you've seen a million, you know, you've seen in other ways, he checks out from any possible, he checks out from humanity. Oh yeah. He checks out from any possible good he could ever do anybody because he was in many ways doing good for the world. And now because he's been hurt, he feels as though he's perfectly justified in saying, all right, world, you're on your own. Yeah. Which Just is, as I am, which is not that foreign of a of a of a reaction. Like, yeah, it, it it's not that strange to see people who, especially when he's someone who, like you said, was doing something good for the world. 
that even makes it worse when he he feels like he's been doing good and then just bad happens to him. Yeah. And maybe it's maybe it's something that's happened a lot to him. Maybe not this specific thing, but maybe he's maybe he's had a life where nothing ever goes his way. You know, he's helping people. He's doing things for other people and nothing yeah. ever comes back to him. And he finally says, you know what? Forget it. Yeah. And that's kind of with the place that he's in here at the bar. Like he doesn't help anybody. And he even has that reputation. Yeah. I mean, uh, he says it several times. I stick my yeah. neck out for nobody. Exactly. Peter Laurie essentially goes to his death because, because uh, Rick's like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not helping you. And you know, you mentioned Sydney green street's character, Ferrari, um, <laughs> with his fun little fez. Uh, <laughs> And uh, and the, their relationship is an interesting one. Yeah. Because, you know, and Rick has a relationship. You know, he's got, there's Louis, there's Ugardi, there's, you know, even Major Strasser and, mm-hmm. and all that. Um, Ferrari's an interesting one because they're basically the same type of guy. Yeah. They both own, like, bars, places that people go. Uh, they both sort of have their hands in some way, either passively or, or not, in the goings on of the city, mm-hmm. uh, they're sort of major players, and yet we view Ferrari as a villain of sorts. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also entirely possible to see Rick eventually winding up there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In a few years, you know. I think it's. I think that's a is a key reason that that character is older than Rick. Yes. It's like he's been there in Casablanca longer. He's maybe yeah. in the same position. He's just worked the system for longer and. This is this is the way it works for people. And Sydney Greenstreet, uh, who I'm f- primarily familiar with from the Maltese Falcon, mm-hmm. uh, he's very good at playing a certain type of evil, and that's the evil that is kind of amused with itself. It, yeah. It's it gave up on any kind of conscience long ago. Yeah, and it's like, and when you, it's like you stop sticking your neck out for anybody, even if if somebody dies as a result. Eventually, you'll f- and and you're making wisecracks the whole time. It's really only a matter of time before you wind up where Ferrari is emotionally, mm-hmm. just kind of sitting back, seeing what you can get out of everything, and then just kind of amused at the idea that people uh, are have any emotions at all. The um, smiling villain, yeah, which he's tremendously good at. Um, <laughs> Sydney Greenstreet uh, in Maltese Falcon. I think I probably mentioned this on in the episode. Uh, that was his first on-screen role. He was nominated for supporting actor for it. There you go. Because um, he just, it's it's a villain that you just love. You're, yeah. you're like, I really enjoy spending time with this guy. Oh, he is a monster. There's no question <laughs> about it. But I do enjoy him. Yeah. Um. So, uh, so d- is there like, there are some movies that cannot really be summed up as do you have a favorite character? What character do you respond to the most? Like, mm. but Casablanca is one of them. There are characters yeah, so. and character types. Yeah. And so do you find yourself responding to like, I, as I just said, I respond to a number of the relationships, but mm-hmm. like the one with Rick and Ferrari and the cautionary tale that Ferrari is, yeah. I respond quite a bit to that. Yeah. Um, is there a relationship or a specific character that you find yourself responding to a lot? Um, I really like the, the, uh, relationship between Rick and Louie. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, first of all, it's so much of a fun one and we haven't really talked about it too much, but the banter in this, in this film is great. That That's one thing for people who haven't seen a lot of movies made before the fifties. Um, some of the way that people talked back then in, in some of those movies, a lot, a lot of great film noir and things like that. There's just this snappiness to the dialogue that 
you don't find as much nowadays. It's almost like you can't do it nowadays. I don't know why. Um, because it's, I think it's because there's the, a staginess to it. Like it doesn't. Yeah. Characters always have exactly the right thing to say, and it's right. worded in just the right way. It's it's a one liner that you're like, oh, nobody's that smart. So, yeah, exactly. You know? it, it's it's the things that, but and granted, it's not naturalistic at all. Um, so maybe that's why it has been seen as kind of hokey. But it's so much fun to listen to, and it's the kind of thing that you're like, if if only I had been able to think of that line. Oh my gosh, um, they're just so witty, and uh, so that this is one of those scripts where there's so many great witty lines, and some of the best ones are between Rick and Louis. Um, yeah, uh, but that that's a that's a good relationship because first of all, it's a little strange in that. Um, Louis really not a like he's a pretty bad guy yeah, in a lot of is. ways but he's he's like so he seems so friendly and he's so uh uh he seems so positive about everything yeah <laughs> that was just kind of Claude Rains way I think um which is why he's an actor that I really love especially when he plays villains he's a great prince john in uh in uh Oh yes he is yes uh, Robin Hood but uh and in Notorious he's a yeah, he's, he's a very he's a villain unique in that villain too. in that he's, as well he's great in that movie the Invisible Man he was also yeah, yeah. voicing that. So, um, so the way he uh, he's sort of this chipper, positive villain. But uh, again, Rick is friends with him to a point. But uh, neither of them are really friends at the same time. Which I think why the line at the end of the movie means so much. Yeah, they're not really friends. Like they know they can get things from each other, and they work together a lot. And they have this sort of uh, this back and forth where they rib each other. Yeah. Um, uh, so they're fun to listen to in the first place, but one of the most rewarding things I think about the relationship, and again, why the ending is so uh, has become so legendary, is because of the way, because of the change, the change that has happened in Rick means so much to Louis that it causes a change in him yeah. too. Uh, because there's no reason that Louis would, should let Rick go at the end of the movie. Yeah. You know, like, he has nothing to gain from that. Um, but he does, and it, it's almost as if something in that has tapped him back into that patriotism that's there. And, you know, it's, okay, I I don't like where I'm about to take this. Because <laughs> we actually, in our minisodes, we actually don't do a lot of what we do in the normal episodes, which is talk about you know christian application mm -hmm. um we just talk about the things that we love in, in these films but there is something to be said for the argument that you never know who's watching mm -hmm. it might not be who you think it is and then someone out of the blue can say something about your behavior right when maybe you're being when you're feeling the most uh dejected or uh broken or whatever and then this person says hey i've been watching this whole time and incidentally and there you go mm -hmm. and i feel like rick he wasn't trying to influence louis except do what i want yeah uh but then but his like you said his selflessness louis was paying attention and louis certainly has no reason to i mean yeah like if he had like if he has an in with like major strasser like he's in great shape yeah um but he opts to do this selfless thing that could get him in trouble, mm -hmm. um, could get him killed. Yeah. And, uh, and that's something that I always stri struck me as interesting is like, there's, it's like there's collateral damage, but like in a good way. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and yeah, and and also just their their back and forth is a lot of fun. Yeah. Although I think all my favorite, I I think my my favorite line is between Rick and uh, Ugardi, played by Peter Laurie, mm. where he just says, "You ha- he says, you hate me, don't you, Rick? And he says, if I gave you any thought, I would. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, that is so much uh, so much worse. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of great lines that just go around different people in the bar. I love the, I think it's Carl, the waiter, and all mm. the people he kind of interacts with. And, and uh, so there's some funny ones in there. Um, <laughs> I love there's a couple that he's talking with we're very excited about it because they're going to America yeah. and they're telling him about the, how they've been practicing their English. And he's like, Oh, that's great. And then they, they speak, they speak in their English that they've been practicing to each other. And the, the wife says to the, I don't remember who starts it, but I think the wife says to the husband, what watch? And he looks at his watch and he says, 12 watch. And she says, such much. <laughs> and, and Carl says, Oh, you're, you're going to do wonderfully in America. <laughs> Um, so we should probably start, uh, wrapping up a little bit. Uh, so we should talk about Rick and Elsa. That is the primary relationship. (laughs) It is. Um, does it for you? Okay. This, all right. I just recently watched a movie called uh, enough said, and in it, there's two middle-aged people, both of them divorced, both of them with children. Uh, and they have a lot in common. Uh, but they seem to genuinely, fall in love with each other over the course of the film. And they just have a chemistry, a very easy lived in chemistry that feels very real. And I bought the relationship. I can't tell you the number of romantic films old or new where a character says that they love another character. I'm like, I don't believe that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, for example, uh, I mentioned the Maltese Falcon, Rick Blaine, uh, sorry, uh, Sam Spade, uh, entertains the notion that he loves Bridget O'Shaughnessy. I have no idea why. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's saying it purely out of manipulation. Yeah. I think he has a soft spot, uh, soft spot in his heart for this, mm-hmm. but like, I don't believe that part. That's something that I wind up just kind of g- glossing over when I think of the film. Yeah. Um, cause I'm not sure if the film believes it either. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thankfully that's, I can latch on to that. Do you believe the, the, the love story aspect of Rick and Ilsa. I do. I think the least part, the least interesting part of the whole romance is Victor Laszlo because he has to, he has to represent good to yeah. such a degree that he becomes a little bit of a flat character. Yeah. He's and still the, interesting and I like his performance, but right. yes. I, yeah. yeah. And, and the movie knows what to do with him. Like they use him for that and they, then they don't have him in a whole lot. Like there's, yeah. uh, he, he almost serves as a placeholder. <laughs> yeah. Uh, story wise anyway. But um, although he does strike me, there is a sadness to him as well, because I think he knows where he falls in the pecking order as far as Ilsa's romantic preference. By the end. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, yeah. And I guess that's towards the end. But yeah. yes, go on. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I buy the relationship. And I think part of it is because, first of all, a, a lot of movies from that time period, maybe just because it's a conceit of of the art at the time is that these people fall in love immediately. You know, they meet each other, they fall in love, they want to get married the next day. You know, yeah. you meet someone you love on a boat and you want to get married before you get off the boat. And it's yeah. something, you know, crazy things like that. Um, and this kind of skips over that because all of the relationships that are happening have that have some kind of history behind them. Right. You know, uh, Ilsa's been with Laszlo for a while. Uh, Ilsa and Rick saw each other, spent some time together. We don't know how much time they spent together, yeah. but it's been years since they've seen each other. And... Uh, it's, it's 
it's easy to believe that that was something very important to Rick. The, some of the scenes are there in Paris, um, are not super interesting, but again, it's supposed to be a montage. Like that's not supposed to show us exactly why they fell in love. It's just yeah. kind of the, that they did like yeah. it's the a fact highlight it. reel. Yeah. Kind of. Uh, and, and maybe you can see that as what he remembers. Like maybe those are the happiest times I mean, it's told in flashbacks. So it is what he's reminded remembering. Mm-hmm. So you can read it as the highlights for him. And, um, so, uh, the fact that when she shows up, the 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 disconnect that's there is what tells the love story you know it's it's a it turns a traditional love story on its head in that it's not how much we see these people loving each other that shows us that there's something there between them but how much he feels like he has to avoid her yeah and and the difference between rick when he's at the bar when when he's at the bar and then that first night when he's drinking and practically crying and listening and like having Sam play the song over and over and again, like yeah. that much of a difference in that person shows that shows the damage that yeah. happened in that relationship. Yeah. That's something that, that helps for me. And, and this is not something that works for every character, or every film, but something that helps for me is to believe that, uh, that these characters do I believe that these characters existed before the movie started? And do I believe that they will exist after the movie is over mm-hmm. uh, with Rick and Elsa? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, we do see flashbacks and stuff, but also just the chemistry between the two characters and just the, like they're still clearly very attracted to one another, but they just can't let themselves be that mm-hmm. uh, not merely because of the logistical situation, but also just the pain that they've caused one another mm-hmm. um, and themselves. Uh, it's all very real. It's all very palpable. Um, and it's just, Humphrey Bogart, I think is, is a, Ingrid, Ber- Ingrid Bergman is somebody that I think is, is known as a good, a very solid actress. Mm-hmm. Humphrey Bogart, I think people often say, well, he just only played himself, which is kind of true. And he played more to man- a type. Yeah. As far as mannerisms and such. Mm-hmm. But the question is, not are they doing something different it's do i believe the emotion they're playing yeah and if that's the case then absolutely almost every time uh bogart does something i believe the emotion he's playing and the deep just the deep pain that he conveys as rick like just comes off the screen and just to see the two of them interact with each other like it is romantic but it's you know, bittersweet to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do need to end now. Cause I think the pizza's here <laughs> and we still got to exchange presents, uh, which is to say, I need to open Josh's present to me and he is going to be disappointed. I will just go home empty handed. Yeah. But you know what? You had a good conversation with me and that's sure worth did. its weight in gold. That's what I'll, it I'll weighs go, nothing. I'll go home and, and when it posts, I'll listen to it. There you go. And I'll be think, like, that was pretty good. That was know, a good time. Yeah, I don't know why Tyler edited all my stuff out. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, uh, so Casablanca, your favorite film of all time, not merely for technical purposes, even though it, that's all there. Michael Curtiz, very capable director, mm-hmm. brilliantly written film by the Epstein brothers, um, wonderfully acted, but also the different 
themes that it explores when it actually didn't have to explore them. Yeah. It could have just been a very straightforward, and to some people it is, just a straightforward war romance. Yeah. But it is indeed so much more. It's one of those things, I mean, it's kind of the same thing we talked about when we talked about Star Wars, that everything it's trying to do, it's doing well. Like, I feel like it does all the things the movie's supposed to do, brings them all together, and yeah. All right. And so, listeners, obviously, if you've, I mean, we... This could be said of almost any movie in our top ten, but some of them are more accessible than others, mm-hmm. and this is maybe the most accessible of all of them, uh, except Star Wars. Um, so if you've not seen Casablanca, I guess we've kind of ruined it for you a little bit, but um, oddly enough, I mean, it's one of, that's one of those movies I knew what the ending was before I even saw it. Like, just through cultural osmosis, you just kind of pick up on things. Yeah, well, It could be like, you know parodies in Warner Brothers cartoons yeah. and that sort of thing. Or A Night in Casablanca. Which I didn't see. That's the sequel, right? Yeah. Yeah. But some unorthodox casting choices. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so uh, Seek It Out. It is great. Uh, you'll probably love it as I do and as Josh clearly does as well. So that ends our top ten. Wow. Very exciting. This was a lot of fun. Uh, doing a sh- doing the show on a more regular basis seemed to uh, bring in more listeners. And so thank you, everybody. Uh, if you started listening in the last year, uh, we do appreciate your patronage. Um, but uh, And when talking about what we were going to do, were we going to go back to doing an ep- a regular episode every two weeks? Uh, we opted to not do that. We want to try and turn out something every week. And that will be... We're going to start going through the best pictures, starting with Argo and working our way backwards. For all the positivity that you've heard about these top tens, because, of course, why would we dislike them? You're going to hear some occasional negativity about these best pictures. Um, Yeah. But not all the time. If you followed the articles that I have written about, you know, as far as I have gotten through the best picture winners, there's some some great negativity to be found in there as well. There's some clunkers. Uh, yeah, but that's all right. It's, it also gives us the opportunity, as I've said before, to, uh, talk about the, uh, how the best picture maybe reflects the culture of the time. And it's still interesting in retrospect to look back and say the Academy chose this. Yep. Fascinating. Um, but yeah, uh, Josh is going to be out of town for a little while. I'm not totally sure what that's going to mean for the next couple of weeks. Uh, but I will figure it out. And yeah, uh, everybody have yourselves a happy new year. Cause that's when I, I already wished you a Merry Christmas and here's the second part and a happy new year. Oh, and Josh, you know, uh, safe traveling. Thank you. And, uh, you also have a happy new year. Sure. And everybody, and thank you for being here as always. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the rest of you, thank you for listening and we'll get you next time. Bye.